I think I think that this is really an important issue that illustrates the difference between flyover country and everywhere else. Is that most people in flyover country believe that if you sign up for something that you say you're gonna you're gonna uphold the contract, just basic common sense. We're gonna I'm gonna uphold that end of the bargain. But modern liberalism, what people believe on the coast is that we are gonna insulate you from the outcomes of your own decision. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Yes, it is. Scott is here, Kevin Grouch, Sean Southard. Jared Crawford is going to be like crawling behind the scenes taking photographs tonight or something. Crawling. Crawling Crawford. It's like a combat correspondent. (laughs) He's under the table. He is embedded with Flyover Country (laughs) with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold, by the way. I'm your roundtable host and uh, thrilled to see you guys. We all have haircuts, which is kind of the the, the reason why we all need to take photographs tonight. Yeah, I I, I like everyone's haircut. I'm a little self-conscious about mine. It's it's a little short on the sides, I'm going to be honest with you. Well, my barber in Cambridge... Where I was, uh, a barber in Cambridge. Yes, go uh, ahead. Yes, what's well, I once Al- had a barber in Cambridge. Cambridge. <laughs> well, he's Albanian, and we weren't exactly. And he was Albanian, and, and he was like trying to ask me how short I wanted it, and I don't speak Albanian, and so this is what happened. So you said you said bald, bald on the sides. Is that what you said? I, I, in Albanian. That's in Albanian. <laughs> I do like that they have. You all have now moved me as far away from Joe as possible. That is true. Yeah. So that no fisticuffs. No fisticuffs tonight. That's right, but I'm 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 thrilled that you survived your Albanian barber experience, and also you you survived. Uh, you've wrapped up. I was following you on Twitter and saw you were uh, a little waxing poetic about the end of your uh, semester at Harvard. Yep, at the, the, the semester. School. Yep, semester has ended. We taught our last class on Monday night. We did a little session on redistricting. We had experts in from both the Republican and Democrat redistricting regimes to brief us. And uh, then I spent a good chunk of my day on Monday and Tuesday proctoring final presentations, and that was fun. And flew home late Tuesday night, and uh, I'm I'm was I got to get a little bit of grading done with my co-professors and get that uploaded. But so, do you actually grade papers yourself, like as you? Oh yeah, man, I got a I got I got to grade papers and put them in a system. And Is it are they on paper or are they all digital? We have a system called Canvas, which I think is pretty common in the college university world and they upload their uh, materials to canvas and i get on there and there's a little thing called speed grader and you get on there and read it and make notes and put scores in. how, how hard of a algorithm? grader are we here that sounds What's like that? some algorithmic justice i mean i you know what i'm looking for I, we always have criteria for the assignments but also i'm i'm looking for are you showing up paying attention participating like are you absorbing the material and and uh, and so and, and it's pretty obvious when people are so you, trying. So you basically give a participation trophy yeah. for your classes? No, no, I don't do that at all. Well, actually, part of the grade is participation. <laughs> um, uh, some of it is showing up, and some of it is actual participation. But uh, we have other assignments, memo writing, the final presentations. We put the students in groups, and we give them a campaign to manage. So it's like a simulation, and then they have to come give us a presentation on neat. their campaign plan. You know, I know that it's real world to have group projects, but I can tell you as a father of two teenage sons in high school, it is awful, these group <laughs> projects, because you often will have just the freeloaders. And then you're waiting for this person to do their part of it, and it doesn't come through, and then your child's grade suffers. I, I solved this uh, because at the end of the group presentation – uh, at the end of the, all of that being completed, we send a survey to the groups, and we ask them each to give their teammates grades 
to hold everyone accountable for their own uh, carrying their own weight. And so um, we uh, we saw for X on that. Do you all remember back in your all's days, you know, the olds amongst us, <laughs> the trifold board? Project. Well, sure, absolutely. Yes, yeah, I yeah, made a few yeah. of those. Yeah, did you? Okay, that was mainly like middle school, elementary school type yeah. thing. The trifolds. What You're I remember though, out news clips. You know, like absolutely, you know, like news print. Print. absolutely. Blue. The thing though, I remembered. I mean, when you were talking about, and it might seem like a silly question when I asked you if it was digital or on paper. I mean, all of my college papers were written on a typewriter. typewriter. Although I have to say, some of the group projects came in and the groups were smart enough to print out their... Because the, the presentation is a slide deck that they have to present to the teaching team, and then they also have a memo, like an actual campaign plan that they've written that covers all the criteria for the project. Some people printed it out on like a nice binder or like a nice memo format and brought it in, so that was a nice, nice Scott little Scott Jennings has always been pro-high-quality paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paper goes a long way. I mean, I'm, I'm actually a paper fan. What is I, limitless paper in a paperless world? Gender <laughs> <laughs> <Dunder> Mifflin. <laughs> I will say that the uh, I have I'm more plugged into paper issues right now than ever in my life because of my other my day job. We have a shortage of I've paper. Heard there's, a paper there's, a, there's a paper shortage going on now. Thankfully, the we do the, the mill strike in uh, Finland apparently has <laughs> has actually uh, worked out. I've heard gonna, that the Finnish. No, it is. It is true. They finished. No, actually, they what's happening right now? There are, and, and there actually are concerns among some county clerks about ballots and that things. That is true. Wow. Yeah, uh, about being able to have enough paper to get this done because of the paper shortage I, in America. I recently spoke to our Secretary of State about this. What issue. did he say? He said that it's a big issue that there's there's a paper shortage. And I, as I told I, him, I, I said I, we need to get Michael Scott on this issue. Man, a lot. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, you, Scott mentioned, or I mentioned Harvard, and, and uh, later on we're going to be talking a little bit about a new poll of Harvard students. Uh, our Harvard students did the poll of yeah. of young people across the country. We do want to do a follow up on on that. Perhaps a, a quick note on uh, what's going on with Ron DeSantis and Disney. Uh, Kevin's quiz tonight. We're going to fill us in on some of the uh, the Twitter news of the past week. I want to start though. at 140 characters or less. Uh, That's right, 200. And- yeah, it used to be some odd. I'm keeping it succinct. And Keep God it. knows what Elon will do. Oh, we'll I get like there. Him. We'll get there. I like him. Uh, but first, I want to hit on the uh, – we talked about the um, you know, the college polls, but about the student loan forgiveness plan, which yeah. apparently seems to be gaining a tremendous amount of traction here, and almost that this, this announcement from President Biden could come soon. First of all, I have to ask you, Scott, just from a – logistics matter and we talked about this during the Trump administration about okay what might happen through executive orders that the Republicans will have to pay for because of of what Trump did with executive orders during his presidency and Obama before him but can Biden even do this is this even legal I mean the the people who want it say that it is and I assume it'll be immediately challenged uh and and should be challenged I mean it strikes me this is in the similar bucket to the when they had the CDC have a moratorium on evictions, which was eventually thrown out by the Supreme Court. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the short answer is I don't know. And the proposals are, are, of course, across the board. You know, Biden during the campaign talked about canceling up to $10,000 per person. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has talked about $50,000. And Bernie Sanders has talked about wiping out all $1.6 or $7 trillion in student debt uh, that is held, you know, by 40 some odd million people. So I, I don't know what he's going to do. I, it, to me, well, we're already, we're already mislabeling it. Canceling. It's not canceled. Somebody got to pay. Right. Somebody has to pay for this. And the people sitting at this table will pay. And the people listening to this will pay. 
You didn't get to go to college. You didn't get to earn the degree. You didn't get the benefit of this, but you're paying for it. That, so it's not canceled. It doesn't evaporate. It doesn't get put in a dumpster. It doesn't get buried in a hole. Like it, it literally has to be paid for. But what I find interesting about this public rollout of this, they're already they're already making up words. I mean, we're going to cancel your student debt. Well, no, it's not canceled. It's not. This is the one thing in life. Somebody else is taking care of it. And and you know the the interesting thing is that you know this issue is that. If you look at the studies, and the Fed puts out studies about who holds student loan debt, and it, it would disproportionately benefit the wealthy. It would disproportionately benefit the top 40% of income earners in the United States who, have, who hold 60% of the debt, of student loan debt, education debt in this country. And so we're talking about bailing out doctors, lawyers, Ivy League people who, who get degrees and go on to very lucrative careers. And I just don't think the flyover country is really going to be a fan of that. Now, I'm going to be contrarian here to a, just to challenge you I'm on this. I'm shocked. No. <laughs> <laughs> but so you said this now. Should it be means tested then? I mean, should it only go to those people who can least afford it? I mean, now I feel, now I feel like you're going further down the is – this, is, this, is this legal rabbit hole? Because, right. I mean, the Biden administration has run into issues on other programs. Remember when they did the uh, – the farming program, right. they were trying to give the money to the farmers, but only if you were African-American. Right. And that obviously right. got thrown out. And so if you start means testing something that's already legally shaky, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't there, know where it is. There are things that should just be point-blank moral questions. Did you take out a loan? Yes. What does a loan mean? You have to pay the money back. If we can't agree on just those fundamental principles— where are we? Why not? Why not take all the car loans in the United States? Well, you, you're why raising not? you're raising the issue. This is exactly the right point about the debt. What makes this debt more virtuous? Because there's a political right. constituency that's important exactly. to the president of the United States who is failing at his job, has a terrible approval rating, and is trying to help out his constituency in order to get reelected. Because Sean hit the nail on the head. It's who's the people that holds all of this debt. It's top 40% of income earners in the United States. And well-centered in the co- on the coast and in New England. And by the way, they've already said the quiet part out loud. Elizabeth Warren wrote an op-ed for the New York Times just the, the other day saying, in order to stave off disaster in November. <laughs> we get to forgive the debt. We have to do this. And then I uh, my column this week for the... Um, uh, for the Louisville Career Journal and, and the Gannett system is about this topic. And there's a, I'm going to read this quote from this guy. It's, uh, his name is Cody Hunanian, the executive director of the Student Debt Crisis Center. Quote, I think the president is starting to recognize that student debt cancellation is very popular with specific groups of voters that the president needs to win for the upcoming election. (laughs) Not this will improve people's lives. Not this is a good thing for the country. Not that this is going to, you know, transform American education. We have to win the midterms. As a political matter, this has been a very interesting place. Scott named some of the people who have been supporting this. Biden has been shaky ever since he was a candidate. But the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, has been tweeting about this relentlessly at the president. This has been a, a place where the Democrats have been divided for a long time. Begging begging the president to use his executive power. You have, a, right. you have the Senate Majority Leader begging the president of the United States to use his executive power to do something that Congress yeah, is in their purview. Right. Well, I, this goes back to Build Back Better. Basically, they're, they're both redistribution schemes. 
one, you, uh, I guess, ostensibly needed to have congressional approval to get it to, to happen. This one at least has been talked about long enough, and back to my original question, that it can be done somehow through fiat rather than by law. So, I mean, back to Scott's point. The, the only thing that, you know, really, the left is fractured on this, that there's this whole scheme of, like, how far can you go? You know, Biden thinks that he can probably forgive ten grand of student loan debt for each person. Warren wants more. Schumer wants more. But there's no real plan for how this is. There's no real, you know, congressional plan for how this is supposed to happen. Doesn't but doesn't Congress have to be the body at least constitutionally that spends money? Aren't there the 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 appropriators? That that might be the first point that you and I eighteenth century thinking, Joe. (laughs) That's radical notion you got there. That's not that's not the world we're living in right now. Is it that okay? But 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 I. I just this idea that this particular kind of debt became the most virtuous and therefore was can- cancelable. It's the second biggest debt in the country. The first debt is mortgage debt, which you could make an argument is even more virtuous because we're putting a roof over your head if you're having a you're taking out a home loan. But think about the people in this country who don't go to college, but maybe they start a business. And they take out a, a loan to start their business or to finance their some expansion of their business. What makes what makes their career path less virtuous than a, a, you know this college debt? What 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 about the guy or the mom or the dad who scrimped and saved and gave up the things they wanted and what they wanted to do and put their kids through college? Who and you know maybe they just maybe they just graduated or are about to graduate in May and they're here to find out that they didn't have to do that. I mean. The basic fairness of this. I mean, America, I think, is supposed to be like a fair place. Like, eventually, we get down to most issues as a fair place. And and back during the 2016 presidential campaign, I'm sorry, 2020 presidential campaign, Elizabeth Warren, the champion for this, ran into a voter who, who got in her face about it, and he had the exact right point. I just want to ask one question. My daughter's getting out of school. I've saved all my money. She doesn't have any school So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us who did the right thing get screwed. No, it's not even got screwed. We started of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations. I saved my money. He made more than I did. But I worked a double shift, worked extra. My daughter's work, she was 10. So you're laughing. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. We did the right thing, and we get screwed. And this, this, the political issue right here, this is, I think Biden has got this all wrong. They think this is a home run, but the people in this country, there are people in this country every day who feel like I play by the rules, I do everything I'm supposed to do, I pay my taxes, I get up and I go to work every day, I take care of my children, I put money into my 401k, I put money into their 529, I literally do everything they ask me to do. And the people who don't, the people who don't still get the benefit and I end up paying for that too. I think I think that this is really an important issue that illustrates the difference between flyover country and everywhere else is that most people in flyover country believe that if you sign up for something that you say you're going to you're going to uphold the contract, just basic common sense, we're going to I'm going to uphold that end of the bargain. But modern liberalism, what people believe on the coast is that we are going to insulate you from the outcomes of your own decisions. We're yes. going to protect you. Preach. We're going to save you. We're going to protect you from the results of your own choices. That's the whole key to this issue. And not only that, we're going to we're going to make up reasons 
and rationalize why it's not your fault. Absolutely. We're going to we're going to make you feel better. Well, not only are we going to take care of, we're going to make you feel and better about it people, by blaming somebody the else. The people who did everything right, we're going to make them feel bad about how they lived their lives. They're going to pick the women's studies major who lives in Brooklyn over the flyover country dad who worked hard every day every time and they're going to laugh in his face. I think one other issue uh, as far as justice or fairness as you pointed out, Scott. Equity maybe. Well, part of this, though, is, and I'm not saying this is the right way to attack it, is that college costs have increased exponentially. You know why have they risen, Joe? Tell me. Let me tell you a little little secret. All right. (laughs) The reason that college costs have risen dramatically is because we have a subsidy for universities called student loans. Federal student loans. If you look at the the rising cost of college tuition and you look at the rising cost of university administrators or student life or the amenities that have gone on in these universities, the, the federal government has subsidized an increase in all of these other things that have nothing to do with the quality of your degree. So I have a senior in high school about ready to uh, announce or, or choose by May 1st now his, his decision for next year, but it, it has been a daunting experience. To look at, even with merit scholarships, even with the fact that he has worked super hard and got a great uh, you know, standardized test score and, and these kind of things that, that, that puts him in a good position, you would think. But still, the amount of money uh, that's, that's going to be on the line here is tremendous, and it makes me wonder. Well, if I'm looking at this strategically, and if they're going to start canceling debt, forgiving it, then maybe I shouldn't be shelling out money for this tuition, and maybe I should just go ahead and take these loans out with the presumption that they're going to ultimately be forgiven or canceled. You should make less money, actually. Yeah. This, this is, but this is happening in a lot of different parts of life because during the pandemic, people got used to not having to fulfill their obligations. Right. I mean, you had people – and look, I, I'm not here to – pretend like it wasn't hard times some people got in uh, you know they, they, they were struggling but like people wanted their heating bills paid for they wanted that to go away people wanted their rent to be canceled people wanted all kinds of, of bills to be canceled and now we're throwing college on top of it and so we're creating this expectation in a layer of our society of what you just said I'm going to expect that this will eventually be taken care of. And so the ripple effect of that, the downstream effect of that is, I don't, I just don't think they've thought this through. I mean, if you, because if everybody started thinking like what you just said out loud, I mean, think about the ripple effect throughout society of people just concluding, you know what? I don't have to meet my obligations because eventually someone's going to take care of it. Jared. I am kind of on the other side. Oh my god! Uh, uh, <laughs> on this, okay. I, I'm not necessarily in favor of student loan debt forgiveness. I think it is uh, a band aid for a bullet hole. But I am sympathetic to the idea that the the college system has really become broken. And I think the federal government broke it in, in many different ways, both with the, with the payment system, they created this inflated bureaucracy. And so if I'm somebody who's saying the federal government created this problem, inflated these prices, gave me a degree that isn't worth what it used to be worth, they owe me something. I don't think forgiveness or cancellation Spoken or like a true member of the entitlement society over there. <laughs> <But, laughs> no. <nah. laughs> 
Now, I, I think there needs to be reforms. I don't think uh, the federal government should be making interest off of these loans. I think there should be uh, simplified payment processes for students. So I'm less dismissive of the actual problem than I think the rest of the, of the people in the room. Uh, but the, the cancellation, the idea of just sort of wiping it away for just this segment now, right? For, for not past, for not future, but just taking people who today have it and tomorrow we, we have no idea what they would do is a remarkably bad policy. But I do think there's some merit to wanting to flip this system on its head. Oh, I, I'm not. I don't disagree with you that 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 the system could be broken. That that uh, these the prices of these degrees could be inflated. I, I mean, I, I'm not disputing any of that. But but what you, you are completely disregarding the personal responsibility of the people who end up signing these documents that say you're borrowing X and you're going to pay it back at Y interest rate. I, I'm again, I'm not disputing that they yeah. may have gotten themselves into a bad deal that that, that they wish wasn't so bad. But they still obligated themselves to this because they thought this is this is what I need to do, and you know it's going to work out for some people, and it's not going to work out for others. It's the same if you buy a house, or the same if you buy a car, or the same if you take out any kind of other debt. Occasionally, it it doesn't work out the way you want it, but you still, as a free thinking person, had to do it. I, I I don't dispute that. I think it sets a terrible precedent for any sort of loan or any sort of obligation you take on. And so the people who are $100,000 in debt and took a degree that they can't get a job, and I have no sympathy for those people, but that I don't think is the majority of people that we're talking about helping or that would even advocate for this, right? Like, I think there's the feminist dance major who has $100,000 in debt or whatever, who is doing nothing productive. Look at Sean. He, he's put his feminist dance major degree to look at him. He's on a lucrative podcast job and other things. I get paid for this. <laughs> Would you believe that? I wouldn't. And, and so I, I do think we hold up the like extreme examples. Um, and again, I think the, the, the pro-student loan debt cancellation side has done a poor job at showing what the benefits of this are, right? Like they, they talk about people putting off families and starting businesses and buying homes. I don't know if that's true. They right. don't either. It, yeah. just, and, and they just, they just talk it. about all this extra money that will be flowing into the economy. There is this interesting group on the right that is all pro. They're like quietly pro canceling well, student I, loan dude, debt dude, because but it, but because they're kind of elite. No, they've I, gone I, to these fancy institutions. They're kind of okay with it. I, I hardly went to a fancy institution. I went to a small state school. But I mean, there, there <laughs> are there are some. Of these people that you need every now and then, Bridgewater State University. Bridgewater State. Is that a private? Was that a private who, school? Sean, I do know who Sean is. Is potentially alluding. Is that to a it. private school? Simon and Garfunkel were the president and vice president. <laughs> <laughs> um, was that a private school, Jerry? It was not. It's a, it's a public. It's okay. a state school. Okay. Yeah, it's the first normal school in the country that taught teachers how to teach. Kind of a cool history. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think there is some merit to wanting. I think Charles C. W. Cook tweeted this today that if the the problem of student loan debt merits a $1.7, $7 trillion bailout, then it means we need to completely rethink this system, right? Like, I think there is a lot of problems with the college experience from start to finish, both with sort of like loan, uh, you know, deceiving with loans to the, you know, potential benefits of, I mean, everything in between to, to book prices to 
uh, investments in, in state schools that that do nothing to to improve the local economies, right? Like, you know, these sort of uh, the DEI crap, frankly, that has bloated some of these budgets. I mean, there is a lot of things broke. I think there's something worth looking at there. I don't think the cancellation is the right answer, but I think there's something to be done. I, I frankly like the idea of uh, uh, around non- nonprofits and teachers being able to work 10 years and then have their loans forgiven. You have skin in the game. Uh, you know, Again, I think there's an inflated price here that has created this new problem that our parents and the people before us didn't have. There's, I think that there's, it's worth looking at. I'm, give, I'm giving you a hard time, Jared, just because it's easy uh, to do. <laughs> and you're sitting next to Joe. Uh, so. But and I know Joe wants to move us on to other topics. You're good. But I just, I just, I really just believe that there are some things that are just fundamental. You signed a contract. You said you understood the terms. I think that there. You are, are going plenty, to pay it. I think Jared has a great point, though, in terms of. Colleges are taking advantage of a lot of people, and the same way as other scam artists in other businesses are doing the same thing. I mean, a lot of solar panel installers, and people are expecting, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay zero on my electric. That's kind bill. of a wild thing to just. <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears? It's solar, solar panels. panels. No, it's true. <laughs> Next thing is Elon Musk. It goes, but, but I thought about that when Jerry was talking about the people who have these. These exotic degrees who <laughs> expect their. What about all the goats that can like feed on the like, <laughs> the like land underneath the solar panels? <laughs> well, I just I have to take a second to thank Joe Arnold because I I was really in the the crosshairs there and I think you bailed me out. That's right, Joe Arnold. What? Good for one thing, <laughs> being attacked. <laughs> That's Throwing himself on the sword. Oh man. Okay, but I, I appreciate the fact that you guys take me so seriously in <laughs> these conversations. What do you have against these goats grazing underneath the solar panels? I have nothing against goats and solar panels. My point being is the people who buy into uh, a contract like you're pointing out with an unrealistic expectation of what the payoff is going to be. And that's what I'm talking about as far as the degree is concerned. And there are people who feel like they're entitled to a certain level of income after they graduate from college with mm-hmm. these exotic degrees. They don't pay off, and then they're left with this big out, outstanding student debt, and they're, they're left with a bill of goods. So here's that's a, my but point. Here's a, but, but here's the question. What level of personal responsibility do they have to, oh, to, to make a, a responsible agree. decision about what like their expectations are? What you're are talking like, about is all we've been to- hearing for the last 10 years. Everyone has been right. told before you go to school, look up how much it what, what your earning potential? I understand your degree. Right. No, guys, think here's the thing. Think about I'm agreeing. I'm not agreeing with Jared. I'm agreeing with you guys. Yes, yeah. Jared. Jared. <laughs> <laughs> we got so solar panels. <laughs> you threw solar panels in the middle of this, and we all got very confused. I gave a different example. You have to pay attention. The the point of it being, and back to colleges, is that as as your point, you sign a contract, and this is what it is. But don't. Don't you have to read the fine print and don't have unrealistic expectations? I, my column makes the point that Biden should not do this because what are the two biggest problems we have in this country right now? Inflation and divisiveness. And I can't think of anything right now that he could do that would create more inflation or more well, divisive. Because this oh, this will well, divide. Chuck that one too. This will divide America. I'm telling you right now, people are going to okay. be pissed wait, about wait, it. If I could, though, if I could, you say that, but did, were people upset? who have children, when all of a sudden they began getting in their direct deposit accounts that, that you know, they use the IRS system to give the child tax credit during the year, regardless of what your income level is. 
and to a certain extent, anyway. But but well, not not regardless. It wasn't regardless of your income. But level. but but, but it, anyway. But but it affected most people in America. Most parents in America got these 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 payments throughout the year. Anyway, were people complaining about that once they got that? This is a totally different scale. And and you're, what you're talking about right now is taking people. I mean, take the guy who just you know who went up to Elizabeth Warren, who literally had just paid off you know his his kids' college. I mean. I mean, you're going to have a whole bunch of people out there who are in that boat or who are recently in that boat or who chose not to have kids. They're not, right. you know, or or uh, who have debt for other reasons that they think is virtuous or useful. And, I mean, it's it's rough. It's rough. Man. Again, I, I think that we're getting all caught up in, you know, you know, societal goods and all this thing. When I'm just trying to reduce this to, like, you signed a contract. Fair is fair. And, and fair is fair. Legal. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read this tweet that was sent to me, and I don't know who this person is. Blair White. I'm gonna get canceled maybe for saying this. <laughs> I don't know, but it says, "Imagine believing a five year old can pick their gender, but eighteen year olds can't consent to student loans." Right. Here, here. End of story. Here, here. End of story. Those are the people. We're, it's done. Jared, come now. You tell us why the five year old should be able to. <laughs> I, I just. Those, those are the people I, you're aligning no, with, Jared. I, I will just leave it. I disagree with your assessment of the situation. I don't. You don't think eighteen year olds are smart enough? No, I, I absolutely think they are. But I think the government has has created, if not, you know, ninety five percent of what this problem is. They sort of lended to. That's what you said. And so I think that anger or sense that there's an issue is legitimate. I think boiling it down to like you took out a loan, you pay it is is remark is a remarkably simple way to look at this, and it's a complex. I'm a simple. Remarkably simple. I think it's remarkably simple to look. Well, I don't think that 1.7 trillion dollars is a remarkably simple thing to just say that we're just going to give to other people. I I again I didn't come out as pro cancellation. (laughs) I'm getting this is I'm getting. This is You're the new slander. Joe Arnold tonight. This is I think Joe's slander. grateful to have somebody else being shattered. My, my problem is, is I just think that's an oversimplification of the issue, and I think there's legitimate things to look at here. I, again, but is anybody talking about any of the other reforms? No. that you're mentioning. Well, no, no. Yeah. Oh, everybody's God, just no. talking about taking the I'm bigger a, racer. No, I no one wants for. to say, you know what? We have we have subsidized all these other things. No one wants to talk about that. You want to know why? Because it's inconvenient. No one wants to talk about that. By the way, if this doesn't work out for you, I do need some solar panels nailed <laughs> to my roof. If you could just come over and glue, <laughs> and he, he already has chickens, <laughs> and so he could use a few goats. Uh, this is this is. I might have to remove myself from the show for this. But to your point, Kevin, Elizabeth Warren has talked about some of these things, like uh, the federal government not being able to make interest on these loans, these sorts of things that I. I'm not going to say that I agree but that, with. That, that's still not even like to the root of the problem that I think Sean brought up. Like the, the Again, explosion of these completely college agree. budgets. Completely agree. I think a lot of that needs to be reexamined. I think uh, you just want to forgive everyone's student loan debt before we actually and solve align the problem. Yourself with Elizabeth Warren no, just the whole way. well, just mine. Maybe <laughs> Sean looks like he wants to punch you into the sun. This is I, really fascinating. Well, today. I just think I I just think it's it's unfair <laughs> to categorize it as that simple of an issue. And and frankly, a lot, and we know this from legal proceedings and some of the companies that students were deceived by these, some of these student loans that they signed up for, that they were they are legally uh, deceived, right? And so I don't think it's even that simple. Like even if we said, I again, I I feel like I'm putting myself on the really wrong side of this issue, and I mm-hmm. keep digging this hole. <laughs> 
Uh, and th- I'm fine with that because then when they can't, <laughs> <laughs> when you when, when you when you well, get to the top the of Joe's head, that's when you should stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> tink tink. Here's the thing, but is if they ever do cancel it, I'm gonna come strolling out like I was always on the side of it. And you this guys, is gonna be a long episode tonight. I can already feel it. <laughs> but I, again, I I think there are legitimate concerns about student debt. It's impact on the economy, it's impact on the college system, which I think is critically important. I think we need more people going to college. I think people who are deterred do we? by college. Co- absolutely. This, 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 see, I, I think this is another offshoot of this, because I think one of the issues is we have pushed a lot of people into the four-year college system that do not need well, to be there, don't want to be there, and maybe we could have done something else with them that was more in line with what they actually wanted to do with their lives, and they wouldn't be in debt, and they'd be making a living that they wanted to make. But those are those are two different things. Not college is not for everybody, but we need more people going to college. Like I agree, we need more people going to the trades and these sorts of things. But I think it's almost undeniable, especially a state like Kentucky, that we need a, a larger percentage of our population with four-year college degrees. I mean, it's it's the, the economic growth in in your cities from these sorts of things. These degree or those with bachelor's degrees are uh, largely recession-proof, uh, lower crime rates. I mean, all the sorts of things that come with it, but. I absolutely believe we need more people going to college. And so people who are deterred by price or value of their degree, I worry about that uh, as a state that lags in education and economic growth and those sorts of things. Kentucky needs more people going to college. It has too many people going and not finishing four-year degrees. Again, I'm not saying that means we need to cancel their student loan debt, but clearly we're doing something wrong. (laughs) We're doing something wrong. (laughs) And I feel like I, I've hit Joe's head. I've hit Joe's head. <laughs> that is that is a terrible saying. Yeah. I've hit Joe's head. <laughs> well, Usually that's my job. But I'm uh, Sean, like, speaking of Sean, the shovel he, just, he just read a tweet that he's afraid will cancel him, and at least several of us here hope that he is canceled. <laughs> uh, but speaking of which, the fact that this tweet is even allowed to exist brings us to the big news of the past week, which is Elon Musk, since our last show, has in fact... Uh, Basically, I come to this agreement to become the controlling interest in, in As Twitter. someone else tweeted, I, for one, welcome our new overlord. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is great. It's wonderful. Already, Twitter has turned to a, a hellscape that no no amount of free information can survive on, right? That's guys, what we were told. Jared, here, redeem yourself. Did you guys see the video of that dude on MSNBC yeah. having a complete the meltdown? Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. basically saying, I mean, if these people get control of these of this technology, they might, I mean, they might use it to to like turn down the volume on on certain issues. <laughs> they could even they could yeah. even they could even block. He said, "We got to listen to it." Okay, oh, have it here. Yeah, okay, I here mean, we go. All right, here we go. MSNBC, all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate oh, or all of its candidates. You could all of its nominees. Or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and oh, turn that it for else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till we might not even know about it. <laughs> I mean, Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, uh, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. You I own mean, all of I Twitter mean, or Facebook or what happened. The, the, the lack of the, self-awareness. The lack of self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, remember. I guess we'll have to remind people at the end of the election last year, Twitter. Literally banned from its platform, the oldest newspaper in America, founded by Alexander Hamilton. 
Because they didn't want people to read a negative story about Joe Biden. And they're having this. This is like the godfather of meltdowns. It's, it's, it's outrageous. Crazy. I mean, I mean, a guy shows up and literally says, hmm, I'm an absolutist when it comes to free speech. And the American left and the, and the media completely loses its mind. Well, did you see the other clip where Mika was on Morning Joe the other day and she said, well, you know, we can't allow this because, you know, people rely upon us to tell them what to think. That's right. what she right. said. Right. Like, that, that is almost right. a direct quote. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, that's what she said. And she said. That's we, our job. We, she said that's our that's job. That's our job to tell yeah. people what to think. What to think. And, and, I mean, how far have these people gone? You know, it used to be the ACLU and all these organizations – they were on the, the more of the left side of the spectrum and seen as huge defenders of free speech. And now it's become a conservative issue to defend the concept of free speech. And to be mocked for it, to say that I'm standing up for free speech here, oh, well, it's clearly a lie. The, 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 the issue of speech, I think, took on a whole different um, dimension when the prospect or the concept of speech as violence took hold. You know, this started on college campuses. And you have all these people. Which Jared out there. wants to subsidize. Yeah, when Jared wants to wants to, he's he's for this. He believes in this. Jared and, wants that concept to proliferate across the United States. But, but but when you start to to buy into theories like speech is violence, well then you can see well it's an easy leap to say well we got it we everything else that's violent we regulate we don't let people murder each other so I guess we should stop people from talking. I mean you can see where the leap goes, but there are people who are so freaked out by this because. Deep inside them, they believe that some speech is inherently violent and destructive and therefore must be regulated by the good people, by the people who have the good thoughts. And, you know, those folks, are they're on TV a lot. Because there is legitimate hate speech out there, and I think we can all agree on that. But this they've morphed that, and they still use that term, but they've morphed it into just anything they don't want to hear. Well, well, to them, like, if Mike Pence gives a speech at the University of Virginia, that's violent. Right. Like, I mean, to them, that is that is, that is is violent speech. And well, so, and, and, and since there has been so much success in the last few years of being able to control that, and the fact that the tools are available to tweak an algorithm here or there to make that happen, you get used to it. You, you rely upon that. That is the ecosystem in which you live. And it's one in which you can protect the rest of the country from those people that you can't control and, and you don't trust. Which is, I know it's an old, uh, you know, I come back to my old uh, sayings here, but I think in the long run it has to do with whether or not you trust the American people. Do you trust the American people to to talk to each other or not? There's, there's It's interesting. There's... There's all kinds of discussion about people on the right who are, you know, spread disinformation or they lie, they can't be trusted. But there's literally no uh, accountability or reflection on the left when time after time after time people on the left turn out to be wrong, wrong, wrong about things large and small. And that's okay. They're allowed they're allowed their mistakes. Or they beat people up for show, for showing up to give a speech at a, a, a university like they did Charles Murray. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it's outrageous. So there was a saying that uh, Sean, I was uh, you and I were laughing a little bit about some things on Twitter this past week. But it was a Chuck Schumer who used the phrase, algor- right. who was it that said Al- algorithmic justice? No, it wasn't him. Who was it? It was somebody. I don't somebody know. else out there. Like, <laughs> somebody else is going to get Sean canceled. Algorithmic justice. But there is. Such it was a, Ed Markey, the senator from Massachusetts. Thank yeah. you. That's Good who it was. Okay. Oh, right. Oh. So, but the question is, because these tools do exist. Is there some veracity to this concept of, in other words, 
we have, and we've had these conversations in the past as well about whether it's, it was Facebook or Twitter or anyone else who's moderating the public square. And the, and the marketplace of ideas is not a, a free one. There are people with their, their thumbs on the scale. How do, number one, how do you define algorithmic justice? Like, what even is that? You ask him, I bet he'll take 45 minutes well, to tell you. Well, I mean, isn't it... It's, isn't isn't it, that just, like, what Ed Markey wants to hear? Isn't it... Well, it, and at its core, it's it's the use of technology to tilt the communications playing field to create outcomes right. in our society, political outcomes, policy outcomes, that, that Ed Markey, in this case, finds equitable or fair. There was a guy on MSNBC the other night using the words equitable speech being paramount to or being even more important than free speech. I mean, you tell me, what is equitable speech? I just I just think this is bad. I think this is really bad. I think that this is like the sign of a sick society that we are we are going after each other because we don't want to hear ideas, we don't want to debate. I mean, we can't we can't hear what you have to say anymore because it's dangerous or it's it's harmful. We have, we have dealt with this for a whole entire country where we've had some really terrible ideas and we debate them at the end of it. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't that long ago that the answer to speech you don't like is more speech. Mm-hmm. And now one of your an- favorite lines. And now the answer to speech you don't like is literally get rid of it. Sit down <laughs> and shut up. Yeah, and you know up. who's, You're who's done. laughing as all of this burns is Elon Musk. You he think he's to, laughing? He's laughing. He's having the, the time of his life. All of his tweets this week, he's just stoking the fire more, I don't know. And more. So what do Tesla you think? Tesla stock went down, I mean, this week. I don't know if I'd be laughing. <laughs> he basically bought a, a company that was going down. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, and, and with a questionable or unsure uh, future economically, they, they still couldn't figure out, you know, the, the, the best way to make money, you know, at Twitter. They, they know people are signing up. It made, you know, a billion users, whatever it is. And, but at the same time, they can't quite figure out how to monetize this in a successful way. Yeah, that that'll be his challenge as a businessman. He's got he's got to do he's got to figure out a way for this thing to actually. Well, I know, you know Elon has at least two customers with Twitter Blue now. Yes, I I can't be trusted to just fire off a tweet without wanting an edit button. So now I I tap out a tweet and I wait for the undo button to them and think, oh, I got to clean that up real quick. So you know, thank, thankfully Scott you know, is out here recruiting customers for Elon's right. company. It, it, it does feel like in the last couple of months that. I, I, I guess some of it was pandemic related, but like we we've we've been going through the last few months just this massive freak out about speech and attempts to control speech and attempts to to toss people off their platforms. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Joe Rogan, and you know the guy's got whatever twelve million listeners, and and they were literally trying to cancel this guy out because he interviewed some people who who weren't orthodox on. On the COVID, uh, you know, whatever science, and so uh, I feel like we went from that, and then the Musk stuff started, and then that freaked everybody out. I mean, it's just we we're, we're in a little bit of a period right now where the folks who really are into this and really into the idea of canceling speech are, are I mean, they're and, they are they are getting increasingly freaked out and and, do, is, and and doing and saying increasingly crazy things. This is a little bit of a separate issue, but you know, Rogan has this huge audience. People love listening to him and that sort of thing. But did you all see recently where the Obamas, their higher ground publication or a spot, it was exclusive to Spotify. They said they're no longer going to be exclusive with Spotify basically because there's not enough subscribers yeah. to their content. And so like there's this whole deal and Rogan is exclusive with Spotify. Right. You can't get him on, on Apple Podcasts. You can't get him on anything else. And so like there's this interesting thing going on where 
it's a separate issue, but I just think there's a market for people that that do this sort of no holds barred sort of open conversation, and they interview different candidates, people at different views. And, and I think that there's a market for the free speech argument. And I think that's kind of what Elon has seen is that there's people want that. No doubt. I mean, it's it's uh, it's that this is a marketplace for the for the non contrived, you know, for the uh, you know, there's for the marketplace for the for the conversations that don't seem to be scripted and agreed upon in advance. People who are willing to challenge the status quo people are willing to and by the way that doesn't make these people right and it doesn't make them smart and right. and, and, and and certainly some of them are crackpots but if you've been on the other side of the, and the beneficiary of the way that the world has been or our country has been controlled especially during the pandemic and the some of the, the this tremendous exercises of power and you're used to that it's hard to give that up it's yeah. hard to 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 go back to where it, and also the, the the argument of well it's 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 almost trite or or simplistic to borrow a word Jared uh, to to rely upon a world that can have free speech because that's the old world because it's so sophisticated today and because you can manipulate people through these extraordinary technologies we don't have the benefit anymore of being able to rely upon the principles that our our country was founded upon and essentially there's there's a group of people in this country who think well. The uh, you know half the country has proven that it can't be trusted right. with free speech. They elected Donald Trump, and they adhere to what he says, so they can't be trusted. So we're going to have to show up and essentially, you know, deal with them and 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 in the use of these emergency powers and the use of these legal triggers. And I mean, it, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. I want to ask you, Sean. There was a uh, I, I was reading on Twitter <laughs> uh, this afternoon. By the way, we're recording this pro- program at. Uh, about 10, 15 uh, p.m. on April 27th. That's a Wednesday. And I saw a, a letter to uh, Google from Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. And I hadn't heard about this before, but accused, I guess it was a, a North Carolina State University s- study that uncovered a pattern of political bias in how political emails were being sent to spam filters. I did not, right. I mean, I'm not surprised to hear this, but I hadn't actually heard that there actually was a study or anything beyond a conspiracy theory. Yes, yeah, so this is a, a North Carolina State University study that found throughout all of 2020, an election year, that Gmail, which is owned by Google, predominantly allowed all Democrat emails to come through, no holds barred, but kind of discriminated against Republican email and sent Republican email to uh, spam filters. And so th- it, this Holly wrote a letter about it, but also the Republican National Committee, as well as the uh, Senatorial Committee and the Congressional Committee, which oversees uh, the uh, fundraising and election of uh, candidates uh, in the Senate and in the House, uh, filed a uh, complaint with the FEC today. Uh, about this matter, and it, it's a real issue. I mean, it it, it is – there's a study factually shows that there was this Republican Party getting treated differently than the Democrat Party, and it'll be interesting to follow. You know, it's interesting how much control I give up in terms of like to a Google or any other kind of technology company to make things more convenient for me. And certainly I appreciate the fact that I there are a lot of, of emails that end up in my spam folder – but it does obviously trouble me and makes me think twice and maybe I should have more control over my own 
destiny right. here as far as my inbox, but the fact that this has been that I have been man- manipulated without even knowing it. Well, and see, the, the the RNC in their complaint today said that because of this ongoing issue, that they think that they have probably missed out on at least two billion dollars in donations mm. uh, since 2019, and so that. That's a real issue if you're if you're if you're showing a heavy hand towards one side versus the other, and I, it's 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 a legitimate. Complaint. I mean, you you can make an argument that a corporation made therefore right. two billion dollars in corporate contributions to the opposing party, or that they interf- yeah. they interfered in the results of an election, or that there was dark money involved. It's interesting them going after the money because that sounds really similar to what happened to the truckers in the Freedom Convoy when they started. Uh, grabbing at the money that people had donated to try to support that cause as soon as you cut the legs out of something trying to make it go away reach into people's bank accounts uh, it's it's not competing with an argument it's not competing on a ground game or having a fair fight it's literally taking the resources that was away. GoFundMe uh, I think, yeah. yeah, it was GoFundMe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, given given what I expect the results of this election to be this year, I mean, this these issues that we're discussing tonight, all of there's going to be a reckoning on this. I mean, it, it seems like the Republicans in Congress are, I mean, this is going to be a one position for them once they uh, take over. Obviously, there's a lot of Biden things that need to be investigated, but I think they see these issues like this as linked to Biden because I think they see a partnership between the political left and these tech companies and, and, and specifically the left that's currently the, the ruling regime in this and country. And I'll tell you right now, you think that James Comer, the hopefully oversight committee chairman, isn't going to look into this and think that have launch an investigation in this matter? He will. He'll look into this. This is something he should look into. We're going to go to Kevin's quiz now, which I believe is Twitter-themed. Uh, but when we come back after the Kevin's quiz, I want to ask each of you this one, one question. Just think about this while we're listening to Kevin here. Do you feel that you have been manipulated by social media or by technology? Just think about that for a moment. But, Kevin, I feel time... like I've been manipulated by you. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> so all free. We, we've all said that. Kevin's quiz. Uh, yeah, so as Joe said, this, this week's quiz is Twitter-themed, and I've named it Help Us, Elon Musk. You're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a reference to a movie. <laughs> so I've got, I've got uh, four scenarios here where uh, I'm asking you to pick either or. Uh, and then give a little explainer of things that Elon Musk to, could bring to Twitter okay. to improve uh, our experience. Number one, the edit button, or get rid of all the blue check marks and let equality reign. Hmm. We have to choose between those two options. Yes. Boy, I don't. I don't really want to give up my status as a uh, <clears throat> blue check mark on. Knowing that. there was one among us. <laughs> <laughs> I still resent the fact that I never got. I was. I was. I left TV too soon to. Because now there are like cub reporters who have blue check marks, and I was in it for a long time. And you know what? I do. It. I do want to. I would love to see Elon pull the covers back on about how they decide right. to dole these things. To verify out. that, yeah. Uh, if I have, I'll, I'll, I'll take the, I would rather that you remove the blue check marks than you add an edit button. I don't want an edit button. I agree. I, I, I agree. I am pro, I'm going to go with the edit button on this one. I want the edit button. I don't want to get rid of the blue check marks. I, I will say, I, I I don't look forward to a, a, a thing where I can't, I, I literally can't tell who is who. Like, because you know, the minute you do this, There'll be people, uh, thousands oh. of people impersonating. 
I, things that you I want to run follow. a Scott Jennings imposter account. It's what I want to do. I mean, I would read it. I mean, that would be amazing. <laughs> I want to talk more about this, but I don't want I I want to I don't want to ruin the rest of the questions cuz I don't know where you're going to go with them. So, Jared, um I've established myself on this show as like a part of the blue check mark brigade, I think. Uh, <laughs> so, I am pro edit button and I, I think Scott nailed it. Like uh I think the big thing with the blue check mark is that you are who you are, right? So somebody can't create some fake account. So, I I don't hate the blue check mark. I know it, some people come after it, but I think an edit button is perfectly fine. The reason why you don't want an edit button, though, is because if you retweet something or comment on that, and then later on someone goes back and edits it, you know, ex post facto, then you're in a situation where you've shared or liked or yeah. you know, yeah. done this. And I, I would to like me, to save the two ninety nine a month. Personally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying is there's the there's a great solution to the edit button if you want it. Just delete your tweet. Okay. Yeah, we watched Sean delete a lot of tweets. Uh, oh, at- he did. <laughs> sometimes look of terror on Sean's face. <laughs> it, it takes him a couple tries to get it right. Sometimes that was fantastic. That was great. Wow. That was, number number two. I, I don't like that at all. <laughs> number two at Elon Musk. Give us number one longer tweets or the ability to post more than four pictures at a time. Hmm. I don't know if I want either of those. Yeah. All these questions are. You're, that's the, I like think the tweets are, are evil. I, I think guess. tweets are too long as they are. I, I will say, occasionally, I get a little irritated that I can't post a fifth or a sixth picture. So I'll go with the pictures. I'll do the photos. I'll take pictures. Yeah. All right. All right. Anonymity. You got it. Send that to Elon. All right. Number three, <laughs> and this one's going to get dicey. Re-add Donald Trump or remove Jennifer Rubin. <laughs> oh, get rid of Jennifer Rubin. I mean, that's an easy one. She brings so much, so oh, much good content. To yeah, I mean, Jennifer's. So, like, all jokes aside, like, there there are, like, a few people who make Twitter really bad. Kevin, we were talking about this earlier. It's like uh, 10% of users equate for, like, 80% of tweets. Jennifer Rubin is the one account that accounts for, like, 80% of the bad tweets. <laughs> like, I don't know if we're tracking that, but... Like, See you later. From a free speech standpoint, absolutely, just allow everyone on. And so don't block Jennifer and don't block But that wasn't the question, Donald. Joe. The Joe was let, Donald let Trump him come back, back yes. or get rid of Jennifer Rubin. That was the question. So you need to answer the question based upon the premises that was offered to you. Let Donald Trump come back. Okay. Yeah, because free speech. Right. I, I do agree with Joe. I mean, if what are the, like, the Ayatollah Khomeini can be yeah. on Twitter and yeah. the former president of the United States, I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Marketplace of ideas, but I really hate Jennifer Rubin. <laughs> well, so but, I, I would say, like, I'm not don't being you honest use enough the, to just be like, here, oh, I'm all just, high-minded and virtuous to say Trump should come just back. Just mute her. I really, I'm really thinking just about mute it. Just mute Jennifer. Really, don't you ever use the mute button? She's so insufferable. Just, but she, it's she sometimes it's fun. Everywhere. It's fun to watch. Even her columns are atrocious. But why don't you just mute the if cure? You, the cure for being insufferable is more insufferableness. <laughs> So I think was, you should try to be even yeah. more insufferable. I should try to be more insufferable? <laughs> okay. Any more questions? No, number four, finally. Oh, yes. And this one, you're going to have to sus- suspend some disbelief and uh, any potential antitrust concerns. Should Elon completely shut down Twitter or buy Google? I'd rather he buy Google because I think that his – ultimately, I think he is uh, a free speech – Crusader. I, mean, I, I truly believe that he would, to our earlier question, our point about the, the, the Gmail spam and those algorithms, I think that he would let things be freer. I want to say he should de- he should just delete Twitter, but wouldn't something just 
You've already got this proliferating variety of other similar yeah. services, so something would fill the void. So I'm I'm going to go with buy Google. But what it, what would, this is an interesting thought process? What would happen if he did delete it? My assumption is is that everybody would fragment, and all the 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 uh, yeah the, the no, journalists no, would go to one thing. Right. The Trump people would go to well, like it, basically. Twitter now is mostly, I think, mostly left-leaning people, although there are some conservatives on there. But I, I, I assume that would just cause the pure fragmentation of all audience. Yeah, I don't know, because I feel like the transition to platforms is always kind of, like, natural. It's not, like, forced. Like, I think if you, like, it takes a while for people to start. So if you had to, like, join tomorrow to get in the loop, I think you'd see less people, like, a lot, of, like a lot less people... Joining, I don't know that if tomorrow Twitter was gone and the new thing was, you know, whatever Getter or, or something that exists or something that doesn't exist. Truth Social. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would like take the time to sign up right. and build my followers. I mean, I have three hundred followers, but like, would you want to go through <laughs> that? How much again? time have you spent building your follower base? <laughs> I just made all that stuff, but you know, yeah, you know, hard the... it was to get that many. <laughs> it was. It was I mean, I, I talk mean, about being insufferable. He had to literally go well, through and heard... search for all these porn bots and like and beg them to sign up and follow him. Well, you've heard my takes tonight. They're not exactly great. Right? I'm not bringing in a, the the best crowd ever. Um, I I tweeted this right after Elon bought Twitter. I said unplug it, turn it off. Right. Let's get rid of it. I uh, I saw I, that. I didn't like it. Do we? Yeah. So do we think on net this technology has been better or worse? I mean, is this that might a, be Kevin's next question, Scott? No, he that was no, the last, that was one. The last question. Oh. I said better or worse than what? I mean, has it been good or bad for America? Oh, bad. I, we could do a whole show on this. I, I, I think this TikTok, Instagram. I think it's bad for kids. Yeah, I, think I think TikTok. I think TikTok debate. is worse. I think. Oh, I think they're all bad. I think Twitter has become like we talk like. I like these this idyllic like marketplace of ideas where we debate and um oh that was a good tweet actually um I have this opinion it's this, it's not it's <laughs> yeah, why, did, why did your voice get all high pitched? Jerry got wound up in here tonight. I, I like know. I like it's it when this, you do different voices. By the it's way, it's this like trolley <laughs> just trying to own each other. Like I I think Twitter is is not good for you. What did you call the view? A corner store of stupidity. <laughs> I think that's like all entirety. Most of Twitter. I mean, like I think it's it's fun during the Super Bowl or big events and live tweeting. Some things are fun, but I think think about how many hours a day you get back. If Twitter, all right, let me ask you this. I think that I want, I want to answer this. I, th- I think that things are getting better and worse at the same time. Sure, I agree with you. <laughs> no, no. I, I understand how could you, you disagree with that? It no. says nothing. Go ahead. And, and so, like you know. Twitter, it's fine. I mean, but there would be something else. This will I mean, all you know, even out. I guess what yeah. I, that's my thought, and then I know, Scott, you have a big one to make, is that, <laughs> you know, anytime you have a, a, a disruption or, a, you know, a disrupting influence, you're going to have some of these wild swings, and then it kind of equals out. It all kind of, we get used to it, and we kind of understand that. I mean, in some ways, uh, and maybe I'm being too idyllic, and I, I can raise my tenor of my voice to match Jared's. <laughs> I like the marketplace of ideas. Remarkably simple. <laughs> exactly. But I do think that um, news consumers who are growing up today are far more skeptical and discriminating in, in, in looking at what the sources of their information are. And, am I being too idyllic? Am I, I, I was kind of like, I was kind of scared I the, that I, I was with you. I think I was with you. Up until that point? Up until you just you just took a weird turn. Okay. I, I see. I think the opposite. I think this reinforces 
the speed at which um, incomplete information rockets around yeah, right. on important news stories. And and I mean, how many times we, you know, there's the trope on Twitter, it's like 80,000 retweets for X, but right. only 200 right. retweets for the correction. For the correction. Right. And, and I, but and don't you think that this ultimately will learn? Do, I, I mean, aren't we, I, I guess, teachable that we're still getting used to this new technology, this new world of this, but at a certain point... How long do you need? If, if things are moving so quickly, I mean, Twitter is... All these problems are still happening. Sounds like we need some algorithmic justice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, question for you on all that. Actually, you have another point to make? You're good? So my question before Kevin's quiz, Scott, you're first. Do you, how often are do you feel that you are being manipulated? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do, actually. I mean, uh, Jared and I have, have talked about this. and I mean, I've looked at some of my own posts and looked at the stats on when I say certain things versus when I say other things. And it's... <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that the things are that my own content is being manipulated, and even small things. And so I'm, yeah, I do. Now, am I? Is that affecting me in any way? I, I don't know. And I feel like I'm a discerning enough person to not uh, not let an algorithm, you know, destroy the the content that I consume. I mean, I but but I'm in a business where I have to consume a massive amount of information and news content. So, you know, I'm not somebody who is checking in on on the news feed for 10 minutes a day and I just get what I get. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly consuming it. So I'm probably more impervious than this than the average, but, but I guess my profession. So I have, I have to be that way. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with what Scott said. I think actually like the, the best thing that can come out of Elon buying Twitter is potentially showing us what these algorithms do or how they work, or maybe some of the things Twitter did that they don't want us to know. Cause, cause I do think Scott's right. I mean, I don't think it's that unreasonable to think that they throttle some content, that they promote others, that um, even just the framing of some of the trending topics sometimes, where if it's like something a Republican messes up, it's like they're awful and they hate kids. And if a Democrat messes up, it's like, well, actually, you know, it was like in this kind of... So even some of that stuff, I think, is really strange and affects the way you consume. So I, I think it's undeniable we're manipulated. Aren't we always being manipulated by the media, whether it's social or traditional? That's a great point. <laughs> I mean... Well, and, and I guess my question is, though, do you feel like that you yeah, I mean, have sure, been affected by there, this? There's been like a handful of times where I've been like, you know, something... I tweeted something, and then I later realized that, oh, Politico lied about Sonia Sotomayor sitting having dinner with Chuck Schumer maskless. Yeah, but I think there's a difference between you know bad information circulating and and manipulation. Right. I think what you're what you're wondering is, yeah. do we feel like our worldview is impacted daily because of what we're allowed to see or what we're mm-hmm. being served versus what might be available? And I think that's where each individual person has to be responsible for their own information consumption. That the, the reality though is, is that most people, yeah don't have time and, or they're not in a business or a profession right. where they're literally sitting around and consuming news all day. So they do depend on these services. And, and I assume they would like to think that what they're getting is a balanced view of an issue or of the world. But I think it's pretty obvious that that's not what they're getting. Yeah. To sum that up, they're trying. They're trying to manipulate us out there. Not going to let them. Do you think you've been affected? Not going to let them. Not going to do no, it. No, you haven't done it? Not going to let them do it. I am curious because, as you know, I watch a lot of Russia today. No, I watch <laughs> no, but my, I mean, I knew, I do know that I am as susceptible as anyone else to like to the next thing you know, queued up on YouTube. 
you know, and I might be inclined to watch it because they know my habits. They know the kind of things that I enjoy watching. <laughs> you, I mean, literally every single time. What? You open up the door. Like you make it easy. Now, we didn't even have to do it because you knew that you had done it to yourself. Do you know what I have a lot on my YouTube account, though? I don't know that I don't you know want if to I know. Want to. No. <laughs> Kennedy assassination. I've always been fascinated by it. <laughs> so, Jared, you're going to have to cut what? this, man. What's that? What are you doing right now? What? <laughs> what? You have a grudge against solar panel installers. And you're fast, and you're obsessed with the Kennedy assassination. I've always been interested, and there's a great the the uh, what specifically about the Kennedy assassination? They have a. I, I guess you. I grew up with the, you know the Kennedys, uh, you know, sort of, and, and my my parents were like that baseball player. What? Knocking on the doors with. Uh, oh, what's his name? Harry Dangler. What was the guy's <laughs> name? Yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway, <laughs> Gary. But the Seventh Floor Museum in Dallas, they do they do a great. Uh, oral history project with people who were there and I just end up watching a lot of these interviews I find it interesting I'm, I'm a history person All right, you get really far into the conspiracies too don't you <sighs> quiet so uh, <laughs> but we're going to wrap up in a minute here with the Harvard poll yeah. uh, Scott but in the meantime let me ask you about uh, a, a week later we talked a lot about Ron DeSantis last week yeah. and it looks like uh, you said uh, I think on CNN as well this guy makes all the right enemies yeah. and apparently he makes some pretty good friends too because a lot of money has come flowing his way as, after this Disney Bruhaha. Yeah, I talked about it on State of the Union on Sunday, and and I am I am actually a little worried about the the turn in conservatism to using government power to punish people. It's just not what we do. It's what Democrats do. However, I am sympathetic because uh, in this particular case, and in the case of the Georgia voting law last summer, you have these corporations wading into these issues and and completely feeding false narratives. So I. I so I'm sympathetic to the idea that if you are going to literally engage in what, you know, the common parlance is misinformation or disinformation, maybe you do deserve to be taught a lesson. And what the Disney CEO did on this Florida law, what the some of the corporations did on the Georgia voting law last summer, they deserve some kind of a consequence for feeding into a false narrative about what these laws actually did. And so the political analysis I gave was, you know, uh, to, to succeed in, in the Republican Party these days, you have to have all the right enemies. And I don't know if it's by luck or by smarts, but DeSantis is collecting all the right enemies, and he saw an opportunity here to strike a blow for conservatives who are sick and tired of people with enormous power and influence feeding false narratives about our public affairs. If there's one thing Republicans are mad about right now, it's the idea that we have a narrative-driven culture. Narrative, narrative, narrative over facts, over truth. And DeSantis struck a blow. Now, I don't know how all this stuff's going to turn out. I know D- Disney is saying it can't do this. and I don't, but, but just taking them on and calling them out, he got the right enemy and he picked a fight. And, uh, and just like he has done on so many times, I think it's, uh, it's going to inure to his benefit as it relates to his 2024 ambitions. I want to ask you too, Scott, about, we mentioned Harvard before in your, your final class of the year with your uh, politics class there. So a research poll out of Harvard, uh, basically the youngest voting block in the country, seems to be turning off both political parties yeah. right now. Yeah, John Della Volpe is the pollster at uh, the, the Harvard Institute of Politics, and every year uh, they produce a big poll. I think it's 18 to 29-year-olds, and it's always really fascinating. It's really well done. Um, and the students who work on it do, do a great job with it, and John does a great job. But it had a lot of fascinating findings, and maybe we can, we can put it in the show notes. But, but it, it did confirm that a couple things that jumped out to me. Number one, 
Young people are not into Joe Biden. His job approval was like 41%. It and dropped num- 18 points. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he is really hurting. And number two, uh, they don't want a rematch of 2020 and 2024. So in that way, young voters uh, are really like the rest of the country. They don't really want a rematch of the 2020 election. So there was some, and, and really even inside the student loan forgiveness data they had, there was some, there was a mixed bag in there uh, on that as well in terms of how they even viewed that issue. So if you're interested in how... Uh, our 18 to 29 year olds are seeing the world. I highly recommend you read the Harvard Institute of Politics uh, Young Person Poll. Great, great document. I was reading the Boston Herald's uh, wrap up of, of the poll, and this was really a fascinating takeaway. According to the survey, by a two to one margin, young voters are in favor of students learning about the history of racism in America, and the same margin supported greater parental control of what is taught to students, which I find to be refreshing. Because to me, that is the perfect blend, is that you teach about our history, but the parents are the ones who are choosing and who are voting for the school boards and not being told by these outside influencers. To me, that was an encouraging development. Yeah, I think there's some assumptions made about young voters, you know, that they're a monolith and that they are, you know, monolithically liberal and hyper-progressive and and lack common sense. And what That's not true. If you read these results, you, you, you see some very clear-headed ideas that that I think actually break conventional wisdom about what this group wants. And you said 18 to 29. Mm-hmm. Those are probably also the parents who had to try to put a mask on a five-year-old and keep a mask on a five-year-old. They're probably very upset about that. And then the other thing just to point out, because what we're going to do a bookend and end the show this way, the poll found 85% of students favor some action on student debt. Only 38% support blanket forgiveness. That's still a pretty high number, but... It's not, it's, you know, I mean, I think the conventional wisdom would have been uh, 100% said, you right. know, just wipe it out. Let's, you know, that's not, that wasn't the case. So I, I think, I think again, the, uh, just to, to, to wrap up on that topic, I think the Biden people and the Warren, I think they think this is their ticket uh, to improve him, at least with this generation. But I, I still think they're going to run into some political resistance here, even among younger people. Scott, you had a great week uh, on media again, State of the Union, on, as you just mentioned, on Sunday. And what I found encouraging about that, as trite as it might sound, was uh, it seemed that you had a, a, a good, really good rapport with folks of a very wide uh, diversity of panelists you had on the show with you, the former mayor of Atlanta. Uh, I saw the two of you kind of tweeting at each other after the show, uh, you know, a big Democrat, and uh, as well as to talking to the, uh, I guess, the, the health director from um, the White House. Yeah, I, I met some interesting people. Keisha Lance Bottoms is a former, she's now one of uh, us at CNN. She's a CNN contributor, and we and we had a nice chat on the air. We obviously disagreed on some things, but she was great. I, met, I did meet Ashish Jha, who's the new COVID guy in the White House, and I was uh, giving him a little flyover country uh, wisdom uh, before he went out and did his uh, did his thing and uh, we we had a really nice exchange a really nice guy I can see why Biden picked him because I mean he's he is the opposite of arrogant he was very engaging I, he wanted to listen I mean you could tell he's a very he was very solicitous of everyone around I mean, he was looking for advice and and ideas so I, I found him to be pretty pretty engaging but it was it was an interesting trip up and we had some some good conversations I was on today talking about uh, what's going on with the uh, House Republican Conference and, and, and Leader McCarthy. And I'll be on uh, Thursday morning. Uh, I guess the show will post after I'm on Thursday morning. But uh, I think we're talking more uh, Republican Party intrigue. And then uh, and then it seems like we're swinging back to more political discussion. I'm already starting to get pinged about next week. And my column this week is on the student debt issue. And so we'll, uh, I'll record that and get that posted on the feed as well. 
Guys, we're going to wrap it up this this week. We're going to skip scene red herd. Uh, what you have? Were you? Oh, you I have one? two. All oh. right, oh. go, Kevin, Kevin. Kevin's going to give us his scene red herd, and then we're going to wrap it up. Well, so this weekend, okay, you <laughs> Dad milestone. I took my son Henry to his first baseball game. Oh, nice! Uh, beautiful day. Sean was there. Was this, was this the Louisville the Bats? Louisville Bats playing the Iowa Cubs. Beautiful day. Uh, air show going on overhead, getting ready for um, oh, Kentucky Thunder, Derby. Yeah. Uh, beautiful day. Uh, and the book that I started reading this week, it's uh, Attorney General Bill Barr's memoir called One Damn Thing After Another, which is the best title of a book I think I've ever seen. Um, I'm a quarter of the way through it. It's fantastic. <clears throat> My only criticism, if I could, General Barr, he didn't read the book himself for the audiobook, which I think is a huge disservice because he's got such a great voice and such a great speaking voice. So, Scott, when you write your book, could you commit right now that you will read the audiobook? Oh, yeah. Because we would all enjoy that. Yeah. I, I, I When I hear audio, I like to hear it in that person because right. they read it the way they hear it in their mind. And I think it adds a whole dimension to it. And generally, if someone actually wrote the book themselves, you, I, I tend to find people write the way that they talk. And so it does make sense yeah. as far as the rhythm and, and what they are. It's, it's a good production. Because, right. yeah, right. yeah, yeah, totally so, agree. So great book, minor criticism. I should not have preempted seeing Red Herd, Sean. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree with that. You shouldn't have done that. I, <laughs> it's your podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, mine is going to be a uh, like foreshadowing of, of, of Herd. I'm going to go see Del McCory uh, on Friday, one of the big bluegrass artists at the Burl in Lexington. Uh, he played with Bill Monroe back in the day. Wow. So, uh, Legend. I'm pretty excited about that. So uh, you a big bluegrass fan? I, I dabble. Do you go to Romp in <laughs> Owensboro? I've been to the Romp. Yeah. I've romped around. Bluegrass Hall of Fame there in Owensboro, Kentucky. Anything for us, Scott? Well, um, you and I uh, saw our first uh, major league game of the season. Went to Indeed. Cincinnati and saw the Cardinals. Uh, so that was that was a fun trip up. Like Kevin, I'm excited for baseball season to be here and was excited to be in a ballpark. We got to take uh, my second oldest son, Winston, and. He uh, he had a big trip. He got a ball from a Cardinals pitcher. He met, Miles Michaelis. Yeah, he met uh, and got a picture taken with an umpire named Laz Diaz, who was the umpire there behind first base. <laughs> what a great! Uh, and uh, he uh, he enjoyed meeting the mascots he met and Gapper and Mr. Yeah. Red and Mr. Red Legs. He had Rosie Red. He had quite the adventure there. He, it was he great really did. But anyway, it was a, a beautiful. It was a it was a gorgeous night, and uh, it was it was fun to be back in a ball. I will be curious on the baseball front to see. There's a lot of brouhaha right now about the baseballs that are being used and some question marks there uh chris bassett of the mets came out and nbc news did a story on it tonight after all the hit by pitches uh to begin the season saying baseballs are, are are inconsistent and they haven't done a good job of policing it and they don't care so we'll see what happens down the road there was a huge fight in the cardinals mets game today benches emptied after uh it wasn't a huge fight it was a it was a oh huge, it was a huge it was huge in the first number of people on the on the, but it wasn't like a our, just, well, a coach tackled a player it was amazing but it, it, was, there, it wasn't like no a punches. fight that we're about to see break out between you two so <laughs> it was a big deal but anyway I, I encourage you to go on twitter if you haven't seen it one or, of the cardinals one of the cardinals i don't know if it was a pitcher or a coach but like coming out of the bullpen to join the fray and Instead of going down to the door to open the door, they literally like wall. leaped over the outfield wall and started walls. sprinting. I yeah. mean, it was an amazing uh, American Ninja Warrior move. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but the Cardinals coach Stubby Clap tackling Pete Alonzo, the I first baseman it. of the Mets. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to end this podcast on Stubby Clap. Happy Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Have a good week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. 
If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.